Welcome back to another episode of Thinking Out Loud. As always, I am your host, Dave Hallahan, and we've been using the month of August to count down the top five most listened to episodes of Thinking Out Loud ever. And today is August 31st, and we have no more time left. We have to announce the number one episode in Thinking Out Loud history. But first, let me tell you that next month we begin a whole slew of new episodes that will take us all the way to Thanksgiving. So I have a favor to ask of you. I've been promoting my Patreon page and I get it. That might be a bridge too far for some of you. So if you've been listening to Thinking Out Loud and you enjoy it, would you please share it in some way, shape, or form on whatever social media you are a part of or even just tell a friend. You're allowed to talk to people I don't know if you knew that, but we're still allowed to talk to people. So tell someone about this podcast. Tell them that new episodes are coming, that you're excited, they should be excited, and they should be listening. And they can subscribe to this podcast wherever they listen to podcasts. And if they don't listen to podcasts, well, tell them to start. And tell them to start with this one. Because next week, we have new episodes. But now, a drum roll, please. The number one most listened to episode of Thinking Out Loud is... The Enneagram with Emily DiLorenzo. Well, I would say that episode two, the last one that we counted down, was probably the one I received the most the most feedback on. This is definitely the most listened to episode in Thinking Out Loud history. You people love you some Enneagram. And so Emily and I sit down and we discuss it. I would say this is probably a 101 type of intro to the Enneagram. But even if you are familiar with the Enneagram, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. We go through the nine types. We talk about how the Enneagram has been useful for us. And we also try to type some fictional character, fictional characters using things I'm familiar with, like Friends, Boy Meets World, The Office, and Harry Potter. So after this quick break for capitalism, you will hear my conversation with Emily about the Enneagram. So I'm here with Emily DiLorenzo. Emily, how are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? I'm great. I was thinking earlier today, now that you're on my podcast officially, I don't think you can make fun of me anymore for how much I love podcasts. (laughs) Yes, I was going to bring that up and say, not so many years ago, I mocked you. Yeah. I did not understand the point of podcasts whatsoever. Yes, I was the podcast guy. Yeah. And that was a pejorative (laughs) statement. (laughs) <laughs> and now I'm the podcast guy and you're on the podcast. Yep. And uh, we're we're talking about the Enneagram. I actually know nothing about the Enneagram. This I've feigned interest in it all this time just <laughs> so just to just suck, to me suck in. you into the podcast yep. and now and convert me. And we're done. We're, <laughs> we're done here. No, uh, we are we are talking about the the Enneagram which is all the rage with the kids these days. Um, I feel like everywhere people are talking about the Enneagram and there's probably some misconceptions to it. Some people are probably like 
they do love it but because people love it there are also people who probably hate it uh without really knowing anything about it just because people like to talk about it they're like that's dumb Mm -hmm. uh or that's the devil um or whatever (laughs) people think what is the enneagram how what do you understand the enneagram to be so i would say that at the root of it it's a personality test um that you take and then you discover kind of what your type is they have nine different types and um, the closest thing you could maybe compare it to would be the myers-briggs but it's much different like the outcomes are different the types are have a little bit more fluidity um, which is one of the big i think drawing points for people as to why they like the enneagram um, as opposed some other as opposed to some other personality type quizzes so that's kind of the most basic yeah. definition I you, would give it. You were like a, weren't you a fan of the Myers-Briggs? Or oh, I don't yes. want to say were, like <laughs> the Enneagram was so much better. I'm not <laughs> I'm not necessarily promoting the Enneagram over and above some other personality test, but you were. Yeah, big on Myers-Briggs. Yeah. I'm a psychology major, right. so I'm always kind of drawn to these types of tests. I just find them fascinating. I like studying people, what makes people different, why different people have different motivations. I actually would say I like the Enneagram better, um, which is kind of a big deal because for years (laughs) I was like, Myers-Briggs all the way. But what I like about it is it's not static. You're not kind of put into a type and boxed in there there's a lot of movement they consider unhealth and health Mm. and there's and we'll probably get into that in a little more detail but there's a lot more uh, room for you to kind of play with character and you're not just kind of stuck in this one type yeah Uh, where did you like first stumble upon the Enneagram or learn about it so I follow Jeremy and Audrey Roloff on Instagram and um, because they are the authors of a book that my husband and I do. It's a marriage devotional called Navigator's Council. And so I had been following them on Instagram and they kept posting things about right. their type yeah. and the Enneagram. And I was like, what is this? And so I just kind of fell down the rabbit hole and uh, figured it out that yeah. way. And then I got sucked in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, I can actually still remember I, my my ability to remember this probably makes it seem like more of a pivotal moment <laughs> in my life than it actually was <laughs> but i was listening to the liturgist podcast uh pretty regularly three years ago the episode they did on the enneagram came out it was a two hour long episode and i probably listened to it at, at least one and a half times speed uh, <laughs> but i was doing yard work and uh, they they had the authors of The Road Back to You on, and uh, which is a book all about the Enneagram. And so they kind of, they broke it down. They talked about each type, which like you said before, there are nine types. Um, a shorthand for them is just the number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then they each have like a title or whatever. But they like went through them and I was doing the yard work and I'm just kind of listening to each type and I'm like waiting and waiting and waiting. And spoiler alert, I'm a nine. And so I had to wait like till the end of two hours till I'm like, I don't have a personality. (laughs) Um, But just kind of hearing that deep dive into it really got me intrigued. And the fact that as I was listening, I was able to kind of type my wife. Like when I heard hers, I was like, yep, that's her definitely. And then as I'm like kind of 
almost this longing was growing in me because I'm like, none of these types are describing me. And then when we got to the, they got to the nine, I was like, yes, like this is it. And then, you know, it did in other podcasts I would listen to people that I would follow, they would talk about it more and more. And so I did kind of do a little more research and look into it as you have looked into it. I guess, what have you liked about it the most? Like what, how have you been able to use it in a healthy way? So for me, the thing I like about it is that it kind of points to multiple facets of your personality. It gives you kind of an idea of what you will look like at your healthiest, what you could look like potentially when you're in an unhealthy Mm. place, and it serves almost as a nice kind of like roadmap so that I can go, oh, I'm recognizing some things in myself that don't feel quite right. And the Enneagram kind of points you to maybe why that's going on and maybe you're becoming a little bit more stressed versus growing in your personality type. Particularly being a believer, I think one of the biggest reasons I love the Enneagram so much is there's a lot of Christian resources. I follow one Instagram account in particular called uh, Your Enneagram Coach. I think her name is Beth McCord. And she posts scriptures um, for each type right. um, and encouragements depending on kind of each type's uh, weakness or the sin pattern that they are most likely to fall into. Yeah. And so you can kind of really tie it into your spiritual life as well. And I found that to be really helpful and encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, actually, I saw on that Instagram account, uh, your Enneagram coach, because Easter, as we're recording, Easter is this weekend. And Uh, She's like talking about each number, what you can put to death and Mm -hmm. bring back to life, like Mm -hmm. tying that in. Um, And there are like, I guess there no one really knows like where the Enneagram came from. Like it's kind of like this mystery, (laughs) Uh, but they're really not until like the 50s and 70s. And then even more recently has a lot of like clinical psychology kind of used the Enneagram and looked into it mm-hmm. and done some work in it. And before that, it seems like it was more just like oral tradition or whatever. But like some people say, it like goes back to like the early church and even um, in Islam, like early in Islam, but like kind of like a Middle Eastern tradition, but has like Christian roots in it. Um, and so people are still using it that way. And I think like anything, it can be used for good or can be yeah. weaponized or yeah. whatever. Um, so what isn't the Enneagram? Like, What are some things we should avoid doing with it? So I think the main thing is the Enneagram is not going to serve as a substitution for God's truth about you. So Mm. biblical truth Mm -hmm. about who you are, who you are created to be. Your number one resource should always be the Bible and your relationship with God. Um, I think that some people perceive that the Enneagram becomes the, you know, end-all be-all resource to help define who you are, explain who you are, uh, tell you what to do to feel better about yourself. And at that point, I think it becomes an idol. And I think that is um, the tipping point for when it can become unhealthy. Mm -hmm. But if we use it more as a tool and a resource that can kind of come alongside what we're learning you know, biblically and through prayer and through our relationship with God, I think it helps to enhance all of that. So I just think it's a matter of finding the appropriateness of knowing like this isn't, this is, the Enneagram is not the truth about me. The truth about me is always going to be what God says about me. But if the Enneagram can help point me to that, Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think 
any personality typing system is going to be incomplete and imperfect. And Mm -hmm. anywhere we try to look for our identity that is not in Christ is going to fall short. People do that all the time. Like they can, it's not like the Enneagram is unique in being misused that way. The Myers-Briggs or even just personalities about yourself. Well, I'm just an angry person. And so you have to deal with it. All right. (laughs) This is just who I am. Yeah. Like people will do that with anything that doesn't make the thing good or bad. It's just how you use it. And so certainly it can be weaponized. um, And even I think we're probably nerdier about this than some people would be or whatever. But like, as you learn more about it, there is a tendency to like want to type people like as you see them interact (laughs) with others. Or uh, I've even seen a few like authors on uh, Twitter bemoan the fact that people try to type them through their books. And it's like, you don't know me, like (laughs) stop. And even like with my spouse or with friends who I do know their type to be like, oh, you're such a two, you're such a what, like to weaponize it or to reduce someone to their number Mm -hmm. that you're just this. Mm -hmm. And that's not the intention of it. That shouldn't be how we use it or how we use anything. But uh, as you touched on, like if we can learn more about ourselves, to then work on ourselves, to be the person that God wants us to be, and to to love others better. Like the more we know about other people and the way that they work and what their motivations are, we can encourage them. We can yes. love them better. We can help them graciously to become the people that they want to be. It can be weaponized. It can be used in wrong ways. But it, if it's just fun, and like a way to learn more about yourself and about others, then I think it's a healthy thing. We've talked about the Enneagram. There are nine types, and I think we'll go through the nine types, uh, their type, kind of what their titles, a little bit about them, and we'll start personally with that. The people have waited long enough. Emily, <laughs> uh, what what number, what personality type are you in the Enneagram? I am type one. So it works out. I'm starting us off. I'm called the perfectionist. Not the perfect. Mm-hmm. The perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for my type, our core desire or our core motivation is for things to be right and better in the world. So when we are healthy, we are looking out into the world and looking for improvement. And oftentimes like uh, these types are great at being like motivational people or pastors or someone who's kind of coming behind and um, like pioneering for trying to improve things. Um, But also the downfall of it is we're constantly kind of evaluating things through could this be better, which is taxing for the for the actual person right. for the one and can be taxing to those around them because it can come off definitely as judgmental mm-hmm. critical you know with ones they're always saying we have an inner critic that is constantly talking to us and either criticizing ourselves which is usually more often it's right. more often an inner kind of battle for improvement but can also be projected onto others yeah so yeah so like whether uh explicitly or implicitly the a weakness is that you can communicate to others that you're not good enough yep. or this isn't good enough yep. and kind of that like i actually i'm not a one but i do this to my wife where i'll like reorganize the dishwasher <laughs> yeah. 
you know, like that's a that's one. That's a very one thing to is, do, Dave. Well, well I, like I said, I am a nine, so maybe I, I fluctuate to a wing one sometimes. Yeah. Um, it is a one thing to do. But yeah, like the she could, I guess, take offense to that. But mm-hmm. obviously that message can be communicated in bigger and even more unhealthy yes. ways than I'm going to reload the dishwasher after you loaded it. But yeah, so the the reformer, the perfectionist, always mm-hmm. uh, improving or mm-hmm. seeking to improve themselves or, or others. So I'm a nine which is uh, the title for that is The Peacemaker. Uh, Susan Stabile, I hope I'm saying her name right, uh, but she was one of the two authors of The Road Back to You. She says that the best thing about nines is that they always see two sides to every issue. And the worst thing about nines is that they always see <laughs> two sides to every issue. And that is definitely me. The main motivator for a nine is peace. And um, I guess at my or at a nine's healthiest, that motivation is to be a, a peacemaker, to to go and make peace between other people, between themselves. But I know the one of like the the sins of a nine or whatever is sloth or laziness, and so peacekeeping is a lot easier than peacemaking, right? Like if I just don't say anything, then. I've kept the peace. Um, and so th- I, I know that's a tendency for me. And then th- this idea of like merging that nines won't assert their opinions, but they'll kind of merge with the opinions of others that they're around. And some of that is to create an, an inner peace or to maintain an inner peace. But also they we really can see the point that you're making and easier or like it's it's natural to just be like, oh, I understand that. And that's the end of the sentence. Like there is no, but this is what I think or whatever. It's just like, you've made, you've made a good argument and for the sake of peace, that's it. What are some things as a one, when you discovered that, when you read about it, what are some things that you've been able to work on or like some weaknesses that you've seen specifically in yourself, not in ones in general, but mm-hmm. in you that you've been able to, to work on and work through? So two things kind of stand out to me. The first is um, in the Road Back to You, they list how each type has kind of a sin that they're more prone to or that they struggle with. And I was very surprised to read that for ones, it's anger because I don't consider myself an angry person. But the more I kind of read about it, it just comes out in a form of resentment or frustration Mm, or impatience, maybe in different words, but I didn't fully understand like where it was coming from. So I felt like that was a really eye-opening for me. The other thing that was really insightful for me was um, more from a spiritual growth point of view was recognizing that because I kind of am hard on myself and I'm my toughest critic, um, God is not my toughest critic. He made me the way I am. And so in his eyes, I am his child and I am perfect, even though I'm, you know, I may never see myself that way and obviously I'm still you know I sin and things like that but just the recognition of I don't have to be so hard on myself all the time because God isn't and so just that element of learning how to give myself grace Mm -hmm. and to have a little bit more inner peace and and trust that God made me this way and so there's purpose in that and there's joy in that and it doesn't always have to feel like um, a cycle of criticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. Um, were you surprised at all that you were one? No. 
<laughs> so can you you can like look back and see your oneness oh yeah throughout your entire life yes my whole life i've been always just trying to do the best and really hard on myself and my parents would always i mean we laugh about it now but growing up like i would be so hard on myself and so critical of myself and they'd be saying to me like can't you just get a b can't you just get a c like why (laughs) were you the kid did you ever cry because you got a lower a than I don't know if I cried, but I'm definitely the person that would be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I only got a 94. I wish I had gotten a hundred. So yeah, I can see it from literally as far back as I can remember. That's funny. As a nine, I don't relate with that at all. Like just uh, one of the things about nines is just the path of least resistance. Like, and so true. Like what is the, my easiest course of action? That's what I'm going to take. And so like my friends who probably were ones or whatever, but they would like cry or be very upset at their 94. And I'm like an 86. And I just remembered there was a test. Like, this is awesome. This is phenomenal. Uh, ones. I'm going to, here are some ones Okay. for you. You. Okay. Ju- I haven't prepped you on these. So okay. see if you can see yourself in these. Uh, I don't know. One is a real person. <laughs> two, okay. two of them are not real people. Uh, so Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. Is a one. I don't know if you've now that he has like uh, comedians and cars on Netflix and he's done some like more introspective like specials. Yeah. He's always like improving. I don't know if you've seen uh, in one special he had, but he had he writes his jokes on yellow legal pad paper. Okay. He had all, he still has them, first of all, but he had all of like he just sat in the middle of them and it was like an entire a room doesn't do it justice like an auditorium's worth of like yellow and he's like always working going back and reworking jokes and stuff but anyway uh more fun ones be not that jerry seinfeld's not fun but he's real and (laughs) i don't actually know him like i know these fictitious characters Mm -hmm. so steve rogers captain america (sighs) i know he's a one (laughs) and you know what's funny is so often when i encounter another one I'm like annoyed by them. Like yeah. he's my least favorite, <laughs> but I think it's because it, it, we annoy each other because we all think that we have the right, right way and that we're trying to, you know, make the world a better place. But we don't necessarily all share the same vision and right, how to do that. that. Right, right, yeah. yeah. And but, he's such a goody two shoes, yeah. which I am too. But it's, <laughs> I still find it annoying. <laughs> That's funny. I find him annoying for all the same reasons. <laughs> Uh, I, I like you, Emily. Uh, and then Hermione Granger. Oh, total. Oh, yeah. yes, that was me. Yeah, total. Uh, but also annoying. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so as a nine, I was not that surprised that I was a nine either. Uh, as I said, as I was listening to that podcast, there were a few that, and we'll talk about those types in a minute. But like, there are parts of five uh, and six that I was like, mm, maybe, but there felt like big parts missing and then when they talked about nine and they broke that down especially when they talked about nines have the least amount of energy of all the people on the enneagram and (laughs) there was one guy on the podcast who was a nine he's like oh yeah i can nap anywhere and that's me like i can nap (laughs) anywhere and like if lee and i get in a fight or, or an argument or whatever with anyone like my solution is literally to sleep it off like mm-hmm. if there is tension in my life some of it is like escaping the tension but seriously like I'll, I'll fall asleep i wake up and i feel better and i'm ready to address it i'm like no i like this is 
this is why this is okay now. Like naps are actually how <laughs> I handle stress and make things better. Uh, so nines have the least amount of energy. I thought that was interesting because they're always fighting for that to keep that kind of status quo, that even keel, uh, that that level. And so I, I definitely I resonated with that. Some of what I feel like it has challenged me to do is one is to never to like stop settling because it's so easy for me to just settle in all areas of life that this is enough. And so spiritually, that's not a good thing. As a husband, that's not a good thing. As a father, that's not a good thing. Like I, for the sake of my wife and my daughters and because of the price that has been paid for me by Jesus, like I need to be striving to be who God has made me to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of my uh, favorite verses is 1 Corinthians nine twenty four, which says, do you not know that all run in a race, but only one wins the prize. Run in such a way as to win. And like that is a challenge to me constantly because I'm happy to be at the race. Like, what's up? Like, this is cool. This is fun. But like God is calling me to run in a way that wins. And I always, I say to others all the time that like expectations are future disappointments. And that's like, that's my nine-ness is like, if I expect nothing, I'll never be disappointed and peace will always be with me. And so, um, but it's also okay to expect things. It's okay to strive. It's okay to go after things that you want, which is not my natural way. And even just to the, so the nine, the title is Peacemaker, but um, in a book called Words from the Hill by Stu Gerrard, he goes through the Beatitudes and when he talks about blessed are the peacemakers, he differentiates between peacemakers and peacekeepers, which I kind of touched on earlier. But it has challenged me to realize that I'm a natural peacekeeper, but blessed are the peacemakers. And sometimes you have to unsettle the peace to get to a true peace because I will so settle for the illusion of peace. I never have a problem with you because I'm peaceful. And so as long as you don't know that I'm upset, then we have peace. Um, Hopefully, I might have to delete this because I don't know if Leah (laughs) wants me to put this on the podcast. But our daughter, Logan, gives Leah a hard time. Harder than anyone else. She's a tough kid, but like she is meaner to my wife than she is to anyone else. And that bothers me so much because if she was mean to me, so what? Like, I can just ignore that that is a thing that exists. But when it's two other people, like, I can't I can't suppress my feelings to make this situation better. And so, like, other people fighting is way worse than mm-hmm. me fighting with mm-hmm. someone. Or other people being angry with each other. I get secondhand embarrassment, mm-hmm. um, like, really hard for people. Like, I actually... I'm going to tell this story. Uh, Someone in our church, uh, Emily and I go to the same church. Um, Just recently, they became a partner at the church. And um, I walked in as we were uh, accepting them as a partner, which is basically like our church's version of membership. And normally what happens is they just stand up, the church claps, and that's it. I walked in as uh, one of the elders was announcing the new partner. And that person stood up and started walking towards the front of the church. And you can't see this, but Emily has her face in her hands <laughs> right now. I literally <laughs> turned around and walked out. Oh I'm like, God. I don't even want to know how this ends oh because this is upsetting my inner peace. But if I can just walk out, then it doesn't matter, right? I can just pretend like this, nothing oh ever gosh. happened. But, but anyway, so um, 
there's just what I feel challenged to is to making peace where it isn't to be a reconciler to when people have a problem with me or I have a problem with someone to voice that um, in healthy gracious ways when other people are fighting to try to be a mediator in that so those are some of the ways that that I've been trying to improve on kind of my passiveness I guess which Mm -hmm. is uh, typical of a nine I'm gonna throw some nines at you okay see if you see them as nines or not um, so one, this might just be me always wanting to have been him, but Corey Matthews from <laughs> yeah. Boy Meets World, uh, to me, he's such a nine, just always between Sean and Topanga and his parents and his teachers, just always wanting everyone to love him mm-hmm. and, and be happy with him and mm-hmm. not upsetting any of that. Um, Jim from the office. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. like, uh, even his facial reactions <laughs> to the camera, like, it's like... A lot of times it was, this is really funny, but then it would like when things got awkward or tense, like he felt he that feels it. and did not yes. want, just wanted to avoid <laughs> it uh, at all costs. And speaking of avoiding feelings at all costs, Chandler Bing. Oh yeah. I think he's yes. And like whenever things get tense, he always wants to, I, that we need a video podcast. <laughs> Emily's face is, she really agrees with me people. Um, <laughs> He, whenever things get tense, he's there with the joke yes. because he just doesn't want Absolutely. to feel he can't live that in tension. The tension. No, at all. Right. Which is why he's such a great husband to Monica because mm-hmm. she can do whatever she wants and it doesn't matter to him. Yeah. He just, if she's happy, he's at peace. And so yes. he'll do whatever she wants. So that's the one and the nine, a little bit deeper dives into those. We'll kind of just touch on, on the rest. Um, but keeping with the personal note, um, your husband, Drew, yes. is a what? Which number? He's a five, which is called the investigator. And they are very analytical, private. Um, they love gaining knowledge. They're known for researching things incessantly. And a big part of the five, which was very insightful in our marriage, is they are big on conserving energy and resources so meaning not necessarily physical resources but emotional resources Um, they need a lot of time to themselves to recharge it's a little bit different i would say than just being an introvert right um because i am an introvert i i need some time to recharge away from people but i really love being around people Um, I think for fives, it's a lot deeper than that. It's almost like a full part of their identity. There can almost be a dysfunctional fear that exists where they're constantly on guard, worried that they're giving too much of their emotional self or resources away. And, um, you know, this is more an an unhealthy five, but they can become very um, walled off because they're just worried that they're not going to have enough to give. And that was eye-opening for us because for the longest time, we just thought like, well, I guess he's really introverted or he just gets, you know, tired after social events. But the more we kind of read about his Enneagram type, we realized like, though, this is kind of like a deep-rooted thing. This is part of who you are. And when done correctly, really does give him the recharge and the health he needs so he can then go be a good friend and serve in ministry and all that. So it's helped me as his wife to respect the time that he does need 
to be alone and to have a space in our house where he feels like it's kind of his zone and he can feel safe. And A lot of times fives can come off as aloof. Yes. But it's just that every interaction costs them something. Yep. And so eventually that bank is empty yeah. and they need to go and replenish. It's yep. not that they're they're not intentionally leaving you. They're not intentionally right. distracted or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It's just that at this point, if they seem like that is what's going on, they their bank has just yeah, run dry. They're in deficit. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, for fives, a big part spiritually is tapping into the idea that um, Jesus is always going to provide you with the ultimate strength you need and that you're not always going to have to rely on yourself to recharge. And I think especially in ministry and in serving, this is something Drew has learned. He is on our worship team at the church here, and it is very draining on him. It's physically draining, and it's emotionally draining, and socially draining, and yet he knows that at the end of a weekend, God is going to help refill kind of that bank for him. Um, And so just it helps me as his wife to try and encourage him in that area as well, like where are you turning to for your source of strength yeah. and renewal? Yeah. Um, so some fives for you. Um, Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Snape. Yes. Uh, and then you're. I feel like I built you up, and I'm going to disappoint you with this one because I'm not so sure. Okay. Ross from Friends. I think Ross is a six because okay. he's very fear-driven. Yeah, that's true. A little... Yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe he's a six with a five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wing. All right. I couldn't think of anyone on Friends that was like a, five. a true five. Yeah. But for sure, Snape and Sherlock Holmes. That's yeah. a great, great example. Yeah. And it's funny because Snape is my favorite Harry Potter character. <laughs> you so. would have married him <laughs> yeah. if he were Asian. Um, <laughs> um, so my wife, uh, Leah, is a two, which is the title for that is a helper. Um, and they are sensing... Um, and perceptive of other people's needs they meet you and they know the things that you need mm-hmm. immediately and are always worried about your needs um even above their own uh, to mm-hmm. their own detriment one of the weaknesses of a two can be that they are always doing for others and they do that very naturally it's a natural thing for them to do but unconsciously they can expect that to be in returned to them i think probably all humans like we can think everyone is like us and so the problem for that with a two is that they are very giving of themselves and so and they always know what other people need and so they expect people to be able to look at them and know what they need right and i don't i'm sorry Uh, (laughs) but other their twos are the only twos and so they're the only ones who see the world in that way. And so, um, you know, they need one of the things they need to learn is to express their needs and desires directly because they are so per- uh, perceptive of other people's needs and desires and willing to give that they expect that in return. But they have to learn to uh, say those things out loud and and to actually voice the things that they need. All right. So um, I feel like that's a pretty good synopsis of of a two here are some twos for you in a lot of reading that i did the kind of typical two was mother Teresa. oh okay as a two yeah who kind of devoted her life to giving to other people Mm -hmm. um but some 
fictional people. So Hagrid. Uh, yes. As a two. Yes. Um, and Pam Beasley from The Office. Yes. As a two. The way that she, one, cared for like everyone right. in The Office. But, you know, the way that she, so she should have broken up with Roy way sooner mm-hmm. than she sh- did. But couldn't do that. Was more worried about his needs right. than even what was good for her. Uh, she didn't want to go to art school. Like, because that was a thing she wanted. Right. It wasn't what someone else wanted. The way that she always tries to cover for Michael and his stupid things. Right. <laughs> um, and then eventually with Jim, the way that she cares for Jim. And so I think Pam is a pretty good. Yeah. Spot on. Too. Why don't you, Emily, tell us about a three? Sure. Um, type three, uh, the performer or the achiever. Um, they're very success oriented, image conscious, very productive. Um, and they are motivated by a need to be successful and avoid failure. So I always think of kind of like the stereotypical CEO or someone right, who's right. Um, a, even like a salesperson that's just like always trying to achieve the next thing and win the next thing mm-hmm. and um, just big on achievement, yeah. I would say. Yeah, driven by achievement, uh, a need to look su- successful, mm-hmm. looking for admiration, that classic like workaholic. Yes. Um, here are our three fictional characters that I think are three. Okay. Monica Geller. Okay. I would have pegged her as a one, as a one right? but I do think she could, ones and threes share a lot. I do feel like they share a lot, but like yeah. she's, even like the, the personal admiration of her friends, but of her mother that she's always That's true. looking for, uh, always, you know, working hard and I, I, she could be a one, but I also was struggling with threes. So I, I think because a in a three, they really want the outward recognition of the mm-hmm. achievement. I think in a one, they're more interested yeah, in their true. inner kind of accomplishment. They don't necessarily care if someone else right. is noticing it. Right, right. Um, Draco Malfoy. Yeah. Just worried about perception, always wanting to look. Yes. Like, and really the Malfoys are kind of. Yes. They're a family of threes. Yeah. Um, and Topanga from Boy Meets World. Okay. I feel yeah. like she's a three. Always worried about her grades and achievement and trying to be the best making sure that she's the best so mm-hmm. i think topanga is a three um i'll i'll talk about fours okay they're the romantic um is the title they're probably like the stereotypical like artist no mm-hmm. one understands me and <laughs> i'm the only person who's like me but they really value authenticity i know value when other people are real and are authentic um, because they feel like they feel like they are the only ones who are authentically themselves and so when they can sense that from someone else they really uh, appreciate that they have a unique desire to be known uh, artistic loyal deeply emotional whatever Mm -hmm. they feel they feel it all the way whether it's the the highs and the lows they they feel it a lot fours were hard to think of like fictional fours did you ever watch edward scissorhands Mm mm-hmm Edward Scissorhands mm-hmm. is a four. Yeah. Uh, and Loki. Ooh, good one. I thought he I agree. a four. And that's all that I got. Yeah. But. Well, I had said earlier, I I didn't know any fours myself personally. Yeah, I was yeah. struggling to find a four that I knew. And then um, I did manage to find two. <laughs> <laughs> They're out there. They're out they there. are out there. But I do think um, they are, they're very mysterious. Yeah. I yeah. kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I believe fours are the rarest. Yeah, 
I think um, they're one of the rarest. They may be yeah. the rarest. Um, and then we talked about fives already. Mm-hmm. Sixes are actually the most popular type okay. out there. One of the, the most. Um, but why don't you tell us about the sixes? The six is called the loyalist. They're very practical. They're very logical. But they are worst case scenario thinkers. And they kind of have a motivation of fear and security. Uh, I think there are things about ones and sixes that cross over. Mm-hmm. I think with a six, they're more driven by making sure things are going to be okay. They're always projecting into the future and kind of going, okay, oh, I can see all these things happening. So I need to prepare right. and I need to make sure that everyone around me is making a good choice because I'm worried for them. When it comes to sixes, there are kind of two types of sixes. Uh, they are fear driven, but uh, phobic sixes or counter phobic sixes phobic sixes will like submit themselves to an authority kind of out of fear um, fear to make their own decision fear to what whatever to kind of own the responsibility of their decision so they submit to an authority whether it's a boss a pastor um, a parent whatever a counterphobic six has a deep distrust of authority mm-hmm. so they kind of rebel against authority and so on that note uh Fight Club, have you seen Fight Club? Yeah. Tyler Durden oh, is okay. a six. And so yeah. you yeah. see both of those. Yes. Edward Norton oh, that's a great is example. A, would be a phobic six, right. whereas Brad Pitt is a counterphobic. Yes. Spoiler alert, they're both Tyler Durden. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry if you haven't seen that. Yet. Um, and then uh, I think this one was an internet one because I don't have a reason for it. But okay. Dwight Schrute. Yeah. I guess, well, he's like super loyal mm-hmm. um, to. Very logical. Yeah. Black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, always prepared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's true. It, the fear is not as obvious right. in him, but he, all of the, he is very, and like sixes are called loyalist, and mm-hmm. like they need that security, mm-hmm. and so he is loyal to his company. He's loyal to Michael Scott, even though he has no reason to be. <laughs> uh, like you said, he is always prepared. All right, it makes sense now. Yeah, and then sevens are the next ones up. They're yeah. the enthusiasts, and everyone should have a seven. Yes. Like I, but sevens are also probably people who doses of sevens are good. You can't always have sevens (laughs) around. Sevens are the enthusiasts. Um, I heard them described as they are people who every day is like a school snow day for them, Mm -hmm. that there's always something fun. They're going to find the fun in it. Uh, They are optimist by nature. On the flip side, the negative is that they, they are motivated by fear in that they want to avoid it at all costs. Yes. And any negative emotion, they are going to shut out yeah. and ignore and block off and kind of can be detached from reality because of that. Um, so that's kind of the work that a seven would need to do is to, when boredom or grief show up, that they have to embrace that and deal with that in healthy ways wa- rather than just kind of shunning it or pushing it aside or burying it deep. Uh, but sevens are always thinking about that next adventure and love to try new things. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Pan is kind of like the classic yeah. seven. Um, but I think, so I have a couple pairs of sevens. Okay. Boy Meets World pair of sevens. I think Eric Matthews and Sean are both sevens. Okay. That they're just like all about the fun thing, whatever seems cool at the moment, like they're going to go and do that. And uh, Fred and George Weasley from Harry oh, Potter. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yep. Um, and the last one, 
is eight. Why don't you tell us about eights? Eights, the challenger. I love eights. They're fascinating <laughs> to me. Um, so they're really strong. They have intense personalities. They're commanding. Uh, they can be confrontational. Um, they are motivated by a need to be strong and avoid feeling weak or vulnerable. Mm. So I think out of all of the types, they are the most um, kind of in your face, Right. but they get the job done and they're often um, really uh, successful. Yeah. I. So as nines have the least energy, eights have the most energy. Yeah. They're very um, fiery. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and intense and Mm -hmm. that can often be perceived as anger and like you said they can be confrontational i thought one of the things that uh was pointed out about them that i thought was really interesting and actually so i'm a nine with an eight wing we didn't really talk about wings but um look it up i guess uh or or we'll talk about it in a minute uh but so i'm a nine with an eight wing and i can see this in me that what others perceive as confrontation or intimidation, eight view as connection. Yeah. And so, especially when I was younger, like arguments were just my way of connecting with you. Right. Like, I'm just going to challenge you. Like, oh, you think I'm going to disagree for the sake of disagreeing with you, which is so counter to a nine. And I'm certainly much more nine now than I was. I feel like I probably was an eight wing nine before and now that has swapped but if you have someone who's like super confrontational and yet they're never mad at you they just are always like arguing or like kind of pointing out the playing devil's advocate Mm -hmm. just for the sake of doing that they might be an eight that is kind of like an eight thing and they don't view that as they're not trying to intimidate you they're not trying to get in a fight this is the way that they connect with Mm -hmm. the world it's almost like playful for them right Two, I just have two examples of eights. Eights were kind of hard to think through as well. Um, one is a real life example. So Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. being an eight, being that challenger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jan from The Office. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, kind of just like that bulldozer. <laughs> yeah. um, and And also like a go-getter. Like mm-hmm. if she wanted something done, she was going to get that thing done. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so we've we've gone through all the types now. Hopefully, that served as a good basis for for you if you have not been uh, introduced to the Enneagram before, or was at least entertaining if you have been, or a little insightful if you already know about it. Um, there are probably plenty of things we didn't touch on. We didn't really talk about uh, what it means to have a number and a wing of that number. It's probably best to see visually, so I'll just tell you to look it up, but. They do talk about what your number is and then what direction you go in health and what direction you go in stress. So like, for instance, I'm a nine. So in health, I'll go towards a, the character healthy characteristics of a three. And during stress, I go to the unhealthy side of a six. And so I feel I definitely I see that as I read more about that. I can see that in my life. And I'm proud of myself because the last time I took a free the free Enneagram test at your Enneagram coach. Uh, my second highest was a three. And so I'm like, okay, I must be in a healthy place yes. right now if I'm scoring high as a three. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you can look into that. And I know Emily did touch on that a little bit, but that one, that is one of the cool things about the Enneagram is that it tells you when things are stressful, you tend toward this. When things are good, you tend toward this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can work on, on those things, work on even the triggers, recognizing the things that like, in, as a nine, 
when I would rather scroll on Instagram or play a game on my phone, I know I'm heading towards sloth. And like, what is the thing? And I'm heading towards a six, which is fear-based. So what are the things I'm afraid of confronting right now? And now I know because I'm super tired and lazy and sloth-like, I know there's work to do. And so that is some of the things that the Enneagram has helped us to do. Um, any parting words of wisdom or thoughts on the Enneagram? Um, I would just say if you haven't taken the Enneagram yet and you want to, um, just a little bit of advice on actually taking it, it's best for you to answer each question with your gut. So kind of what you initially would want to do, not overthinking it and going, well, what should I do? What would be the right thing to do? Just do what you would want to do because that will help you really narrow down what the core type is. And then um, as Dave touched on, later on as you read more about it you'll kind of see your areas where where you're unhealthy you tend to this type where you're doing well you tend to this type and that kind of allows for that character development and growth um so you really just want to focus in on your main type and that will help you um, pinpoint from there mm -hmm. your other areas of growth So there it is. You've now heard or reheard the top five most listened to episodes in Thinking Out Loud history. Thank you so much for being a part of Thinking Out Loud. Don't forget that next week we begin with new episodes. So share your favorite episode or any of our social media accounts on your social media accounts to help people discover the greatness that is Thinking Out Loud. As for the Enneagram episode, if you are interested in more, I would tell you to check out the Annie F. Downs podcast. She did a series over the summer called Ennea Summer 2021, where they did a more in-depth look for each number and seeing where they go in stress and in health. And so that would be a good next step for you. But either way, keep on listening and we'll see you next time.